0: Welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast, where we discuss all things real estate, personal finance, investing, entrepreneurship, and the many ways to achieve financial independence. We interview accomplished investors and entrepreneurs with the goal that their stories inspire you to take control of your financial future. Here to get your creative juices flowing, while also documenting their own personal investing journeys, are your hosts, Corey Jacobson and Ryan Bevilacqua.
1: Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. As always, it's your boys, Ryan and Corey here with another episode. This week was a fun one. We interviewed, um, not I would say, kind of a different guest. He is a business coach, consultant. Um, he's exited out of between three and five businesses. Uh, multimillionaire, also invests in real estate. His name is Brian Will. I forgot to mention that. Um, he is just like I said, strategic coach and uh, overall serial entrepreneur.
2: Yeah, Brian was uh, he, he. You guys kind of got a a peek behind the curtain, sort of like a live session coaching session of uh, of us, which is cool. which is probably what we'll uh, we have. We sometimes we wait a little bit to figure out the title of the episode, but like this one spoke to me as like we told him our objections, uh, what we're doing, what's going on, and he literally had an answer for everything because. He looks at business as this holistic thing. So he he started a landscaping company, ran it the same way. Insurance company ran it the same way and sold it. Restaurant business ran it the same way and sold it. And he, he knows exactly, specifically how to scale businesses. And he's done seven businesses and they've all been exits that he's made a ton of money on, but they're in four different sectors. So people think that business, you don't know, you have to be an expert at one thing, but Brian kind of proves it. Opposite almost,
1: yeah. He talked about getting the right people in the right seats and he went through each of those different roles. That's you know, I know you mentioned he said he runs each company different, they're not exactly the same, but he he has basically the right people, the right butts, and the right seats. That's pretty much what it is. And he, he kind of framed it for us. He's like, You guys gotta, he brought it all the way back. He's like, What do your operating agreements look like? What roles do each of you have? What are you lacking? What do you need? And just we we're like, oh man, like we got roasted. For yeah, a bit. we basically need an audit of our of our business and what we want to do moving forward. He said putting a and P- together and also like pro forma and how you want to forecast the next thirty six months. And we're like, dude, we need a guy like that. We're just getting to that point, right? And he's like, you're spending a bunch of money on masterminds. You you need someone to be able to tell you no. You're making a certain amount of money. And you got to be careful. That was basically his underlying tone was like, be careful with what you do with that money because you could put that in the wrong thing and waste your time. And so it was just insightful and and awesome for us to finally get a coach on here that um, really took to us. And he's, he's a giver, you could tell. I mean,
2: yeah, he's made all the money. None of that stuff really matters to him anymore. He just wants to see other people succeed and get out of pen and paper because he really does paint like, this is what you should do. And I think there's a lot of people that are probably either in our situation we're trying to be there or maybe a couple steps ahead of us. And it's it's one of those episodes that could really help take you to the next level if you apply some of the things that
1: Brian was talking about. Couldn't agree more. So I think we should bring Brian in. Let's do it. When you have investment properties and tenants, you need a good system in place for collecting rent to make it easy as possible. And Rent Ready can help you with everything. When you sign up for Rent Ready, you can start adding your properties, inviting tenants, and creating charges. You can even set up automatic rent reminders and create auto late fees as well. For tenants, they can pay via ACH, card, or even cash using RentReady's web and mobile apps. They can also use an automatic payment setup and sign up for rent reporting so they get rewarded for paying rent on time. RentReady saves you time and hassle by automating rent collection, and you can manage everything from one dashboard. For our Weekly Juice listeners, Rent Ready's given us a special 50% off for any Rent Ready plan using our code, weeklyjuice, at rentready.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot com using the code, weeklyjuice. That's W E E K. L-Y-J-U-I-C-E to save 50% off any rent-ready plan. Brian, officially welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast. Corey and I are so excited to have you on the show, man. We know you have a book out. You've done a lot of different things within the business world. And uh, we are in need of a coach one day. So uh, I know you're a consultant coach amongst many other things. So uh, selfishly, this might be an amazing episode for us to get a little little free coaching. But uh, nonetheless, we are so excited to have you on the show. So thanks for joining us.
3: Corey and Ryan, I appreciate you guys having me today. Uh appreciate it a lot. Thanks. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So if you could, take us through your journey, um, maybe back to the old days when you were a landscaper all the way up to today. I know you got your hands in politics and a lot of different things. Maybe just put a put in a nice package for us so we can dive in.
3: Yeah, it's a tough thing to always go through. People say, well, what do you do? And I'm always like, well, I got eight different careers. Where would you like me to start? Right? So uh, I'm the kid who failed out of high school at 16, managed to graduate with a 1.2 Went in the military, got off active duty, tried to hold a job, couldn't. Finally decided I should probably start my own business, so I got into landscaping. That's how I got my first business started. Built that up into seven franchises and it did really good until it didn't, as I like to say. And uh, that one failed and I lost everything. Learned some really, really good lessons in that first failure that carried me through the next six or seven companies. Got into the insurance business and uh, by a stroke of luck, I always say success, by the way, is is a regressive series of decisions. Okay. Success is never, we don't start successful. We make a progressive series of decisions. We got in the insurance business and through a progressive series of decisions created the first direct-to-consumer call center. And this was 1999, um, and uh, it was the beginning of the internet. And so we got snatched up by an internet company. You ever read the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell? He talks about the right time in the right place, right? Now, Bill Gates wouldn't be Bill Gates if he was five years younger or five years older. Somebody else would have done it. So it was at the right time at the right place, got in with a dot-com, sold my company. That one went public, started another company back in the insurance business, sold it to another venture capital firm. Today it's called Get Insured. It powers, I think, seven or eight or nine different states on the ACA platform. Started an online marketing company, sold it to a private equity firm. It was the largest digital marketer in the country in 2006, I think. Um, got out of that, did consulting for Fortune 500 companies and sales and sales management. It's amazing, guys, when you sell a few companies, a kid that failed out of high school is now consulting for billion-dollar companies, Yep, standing in the boardroom telling these MBA people what they're doing wrong in their business because they think you're really smart because you sold a few companies. Always fascinated me so
2: you're just getting started that's the best part about this whole thing it <laughs> looks like you live three lives already but so yeah. i want to go back brian to like the beginning here because there's a notion that when somebody gets a one you know a gpa in the ones that they're lazy like that's what people think you know or there are you know if you're not a good student then you know you're not going to amount to anything which we know in the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial world there's actually maybe an inverse relationship not always but some but close to that i'm curious about the difference between you when you graduated high school barely, and then the landscaping company, like, did something... Did something... uh, Was there a a switch that flipped, or did you just always know that school wasn't for you and you were going to run your own show?
3: No, so there's a lot more to that story. It goes back to my my childhood. Extremely abusive home I grew up in. I was a very angry child, chip on my shoulder, hated authority, didn't like being told what to do, rebelled against everything, and literally failed because I just didn't show up. I just first 42 days of that year, I just, the first 42 out of 90, I just didn't show up to school. So I, I didn't care. I was angry. But here's the one thing I knew since day one. I always knew I wanted to be successful. A lot of it was because I wanted to prove to everybody else in the world that I wasn't the failure that they all saw me as when I was in school and when I, you know, got bad grades. Truthfully, if we get into psychology, I was really fighting my inner demons. I wasn't really fighting other people. That's a whole longer podcast on another episode, but yeah, when I turned 18, I just knew that I wanted to be successful. I didn't know how, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was clueless. So I got in the Way business. That was my first venture. Uh, learned a hell of a lot about sales, never made any money, um, but it taught me a lot of things about business and sales and whatnot. So, um, you know, I've always had this ADHD problem from high school. One of the reasons I failed also is because I had a hard time focusing on things um oh, totally ADHD, yeah HD if you have, you know ADHD is different than ADD ADD you can't focus ADHD is focusing on everything my lights around me got three screens my camera the picture of you guys it's raining outside everything's like swirling around in my head at one time and honestly that's a superpower as far as I'm concerned because it allows me to manage a lot of different companies at the same time as long as I don't get involved in the detail aspect of it
1: I actually Started didn't know the difference the yeah actually yeah, really, that's, that, difference.
3: that's wild to me I've actually <laughs> it's interesting i I've
1: been asked that before. I don't know. You go to the doctors, right? And they say, I'm like, well, yeah, you know, kind of really can't focus on much. And then when I do focus on certain things, I I don't know. There's there's a lot there, but I uh, I never knew the distinction. And that probably does help you because you have 9 million things going on all the time and yeah. you can bounce from each one to, I don't know. It's, it's a cool way to you'd, pick You'd
3: be it. surprised how many CEOs have that same issue. Issue with entrepreneurs, however, is if you don't recognize it and you try to do the details when it's not what you're good at, Then your business fails. So you understand the issue and then you delegate the details out to other people and allow you to stay at this 30,000 foot level and be in command and control. I like to say, then you have a much higher uh, success level than folks who try to be everything to everyone.
2: That that kind of leads exactly into my next question because I'm trying to figure out the commonalities between a lot of these businesses that you've done. Like, you know, seven different businesses in four different industries is from that's maybe a roundabout like something like that so is the commonalities that you you learned sales negotiation and understanding business as a whole and then you felt like you could apply it to really any business in general because the way that it's often looked at is like you have to become an expert in this one thing like if you if you uh you know you're a landscaping company you got to be an expert in figuring out how to manage a landscaping company. I don't think you took that approach
3: though. It sounds like you took an approach of, or maybe you figured I, it out along the way. Maybe I did. literally had no idea what I was doing when I started any of my companies. i own a small chain of restaurants. I don't know how to cook. i own a real estate company. I couldn't tell you the first thing about how that stuff works. Being successful in business is not about, at the entrepreneur level, is not about being an expert in a specific thing as much as it is being an expert in how to run a business. So let me put this in perspective. I own restaurants today. You take any one of my general managers, of a restaurant, and put them in charge of my company and we will fail. On the other hand, if you put me in charge of running that restaurant tonight, the restaurants can fall apart. Those are different skill sets. Running a restaurant is different than running a business. Okay. Running a, la- running a landscaping crew is different than running the back end operations. So become an expert in run- how to run a business not specifically as much how to run the business. You know, he always heard this work in your business and not on your business or on your business and not in your business, right? That's where that comes from. You need to be able to work on the business, not in the business to be uh, an expert at being a business owner.
1: That's great. Uh, I actually, I believe I heard this on another podcast that you, that you were interviewed on. You kind of broke it down into different buckets. And, and for like Overarching business, right? There was like entrepreneurs, then you had salespeople, then you have the manager, and then there's another one. Can you break that down for us here, just for people listening? And like, for us, it, you, it's perfect segue between in the business and on the business um, because we're candidly, like, we're a two man show right now, running, running this, tr- trying to run a real estate business, trying to run a podcast, still managing our W2s. We're trying to find our lanes. People always toss out integrator, visionary. So I'm curious on your take in this and kind of um, where you see the different hats.
3: Yeah, so we say every successful business has to have four personalities. This was wrapped up in my second book, The Dropout Multi-Millionaire, which I actually got part of this from Rich Dad Poor Dad, right? So there has to be an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs are the ones that have the vision, that they create the idea, that start putting things together. But unfortunately, entrepreneurs are terrible managers because they're not very good at detail, right? That's, look, entrepreneurs think of 30,000 feet in bullet points, you got to go fast with me. Give me this, give me this, give me this. Don't get into the details. And that's why you need a manager. CEOs of companies are managers. Too many people that are entrepreneurs want to be the CEO, and unfortunately, those are two different skill sets, right? So you need a manager, someone that knows where the the, the insurance paperwork is and the employment posters you got to hang on the wall and when payrolls do, and they know that's the manager. That's an administrative role. Then you need the salesperson. The salesperson's going to sell whatever it is you've got. CEOs, by the way, can be good salespeople because they know how to sell a dream or a vision. And then you've got the technician, the person that actually does the work, right? If you're the tech, and here's where most businesses fail, by the way. Most businesses fail. I use Joe the plumber as an example. Joe's a plumber working for XYZ. He does this for 20 years. He knows they're billing him out at 150 an hour. He's making 50 And one day he wakes up and goes, I want to make 150 an hour. So Joe the plumber starts Joe's plumbing. Unfortunately, Joe doesn't know how to run a business. He just knows how to be a plumber. So if Joe's plumbing fails, it will not be, be because Joe... Isn't a good plumber, it will be because Joe is not a good business person. That's Thanks. where I was talking a little bit before. So, if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur and grow, one of the, the five keys to success, I call it, is understand who you are. And even more importantly, understand who you're not, right? If you're an entrepreneur, you're probably not a manager. If you're a technician, you're probably not a salesperson. If you're a salesperson, you're probably not a technician, probably not a manager. You could be a CEO. All these personalities work in sync. But they're all different personalities and you cannot be everything to everyone and build a company at any scale. It is impossible. You're
2: speaking to me directly right now and I'm like getting goosebumps almost because, and I'll give you an insight into my W2 job, high level. I work in my family's business, love my family to death. I am I started out as a salesperson, was crushing it. Every single year, this is my sixth year, I've done more sales than the previous year. I love talking to people. I love connecting. I love the the chase. I I don't even the commodity doesn't matter what we're selling. It it right. well, I shouldn't say it doesn't matter completely, but it it to me it's really about building this for my family. Yep. Recently in the last year I became the sales manager. I'm like, I haven't realized like I was like I took it on because I want the challenge. And then I realized I hate all this stuff. Like I really do. I, I paperwork. I, 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 I can't figure out the process and the system and I'm managing a couple people. I'm good at the managing of the relationship between us, but not the following the delegation and tasks. Yep. And I've never heard of somebody that's broken down so succinct succinctly because a lot of times, and Rai can maybe attest to this, a lot of times the best salespeople end up trying to get the company wants them to be the manager. Yes. Because that's it's like you know, you know what to do. You know how it's to do this better than anybody. And it has crushed my ability to yeah. Be a better salesperson. So I'm curious if you have insight or You quality. are not
3: who you are. You're, being, you're trying to do something that is not who you are. That's your problem, right? You're a salesperson trying to be a manager, and I already told you those two don't go together. Yeah. You'd probably be better off in the organization as a sales trainer because you know how to sell and you can teach people how to do those things, but actually managing the sales organization is a completely different skill set. Mm. It's, it, it's just different, and you'll, you're going to struggle whether it's internally, mentally, or even physically within the organization, if you stay in a role that you're not good at, you won't be happy. It's not going to work. Just yeah,
1: great you. advice. It's great you're, advice. We're uh, similar boat uh, together. The, the issue, and I don't think it's an issue. It's, it's. I guess it's trying to find clarity for us. So that's those are, in. in Short. Those are the W two issues, right? Where like we okay, maybe now you need to take a step back, become a salesperson again, right? You can make more commission, free up some of your time, and just you don't feel like dragged down by the other bodies. Because right? that are eight a.m. to noon on
2: Tuesdays and Thursdays that I'm like it, if it feels
1: heavy to you. To some other people that will feel light. We've heard that analogy a bunch of times, right? And they they love it. They want to do that. But you're a headhunter, dude, and like so this is interesting. We you kind of picture us or we are one and the same in some aspects, right? Like we. He likes to consider himself more of a visionary where like he comes up with an idea and then we're like, okay, we keep talking about talking about I'm like, okay, then I end up like, okay, fuck it. We need to put a system together. Let's go. And like, I'll just put, I don't love doing it, but I just want it done. So we do it. And then we like, we'll talk through it each step. But I feel like it's hard for us to, because we're so similar in our roles, it's like, and like we have the passion for connecting with people. We can sell the hell out of pretty much anything. And we have this passion for running a business, but- we don't know. We haven't really hired anyone. We don't. And the, sometimes there's people that are within our business or like that we bring in for a little bit. And we're like, ooh, you know, they kind of suck. And then we just like, don't they, we move on from them, but it's not, we don't enjoy the process of hiring them really. Cause they're like, oh, we got going to train them. We got to teach them how we want to do this. So I know you're a sales uh, a coach and maybe, I don't know, just give us some insight on like how you would tell two dudes that are very similar, that are searching for the same goals and reaching for the same, you know, level of success with together. How they should go about
3: it, and I, maybe that's too broad for you, but I just no. Actually, the two of you, if you're going to do a business together, need to sit down and and much like I said, you got to be dead honest about who you are and who you're not, what you can do and what you can't, what your skill set is and what it isn't. Now, in the beginning of any business, if you're an entrepreneur, you got to do all, you got to do everything, mm-hmm. right? So you're gonna you're gonna have to do that stuff you don't want to do. You're gonna have to do that paperwork. You're gonna have to do the hiring. But the very minute you come up with any amount of money at all, instead of Pushing that into your personal income and taking it and going out and buying a car or whatever, take that money and hire somebody else to do that thing that you don't want to do. And that will free up all, so much of your mental energy that you'll be able to double your production on the sales and, and uh, part of your business while somebody else is doing this, right? And then as you get a little bit more money, you go out and you hire somebody else to fill in where you're weak. If you've identified what you can do and what you can do and all the things that are going to have to be replaced. Every time you get some money, you replace those things until you have an organization that is solid and allows you to do what you do best. It'd remove yourself from everything you're not good at. Problem is most of the, most people, they start their business, go, oh man, we made $10,000. Let's, let's split it five-five. We're, we're good. Let's go have a party. Let's, let's, let's buy things. Let's, let's move our lifestyle up. And they're actually killing their ability to scale their business to any significant level in the future you just got to suck it up and take every single dollar and invest it in where you are weak. That's great advice.
1: I think the the next step of like when you realize that and you have it on paper it, it's hard to I mean it's all hard, right? But what are your thoughts or steps for actually hiring the right people because you know when you make a little bit of money you can hire probably like a C player, right? You're not going to get someone that's amazing because they're they would mm-hmm. already be headhunted by someone else. So a lot of people start with virtual assistants, right? And like half of them are hired from the Philippines, and and that's mm-hmm. nothing wrong except there's a little language barrier. And it's it's harder to direct. Hey, this is how to do it. You can make a, a, a Loom video and teach. But I mentioned a couple of podcasts. We I was trying to hire uh, someone out for content creation for another one of our businesses, and just I had an issue with like the language barrier was too strong, and it wasn't. It was a basically. I could give her a black and white task, and she would do it phenomenally. But the creativity within it, it, it just wasn't seeing.
3: It wasn't producing how we needed. Yeah, so I see like, it. Whoa! I, I would. I wouldn't go with a VA model right out of the gate for you guys. You need to bring somebody in house. But here's the thing: you need to understand about hiring. And you touched on this, right? You're not going to hire somebody as good as you or as passionate as you, because if you did, they're just going to leave you and start their own business. So you yep. need to understand in your hiring process that you're never going to find anybody that is more than about 70 to 75% of what you are. So one of the very first things you said to me is, oh, we hired this person. They just, they weren't fast enough. They weren't good enough. Well, that's right. That's because they're an employee. They're never going to be fast enough and good enough. You need to understand that and understand that you need to hire 1.2 people for each job that you thought you could have done. And again, understanding that we're talking about scaling a business now. Get about here, today, this week, next month, even this year, forget it. Let's build you a plan over the next two years. We call this back, back-channeling back or back-building your business. Where's it going to be in two years? Where's it going to be in five years? And then we back our way into, we reverse engineer all the way back to today. And then we say, okay, we're going to hire this person. We're not going to make any money. Then we're going to do this. We're going to make a little bit of money. Then we're going to do this. We'll make a little more. But you've got to you got to build that thing f- from out here backwards, right? Um, totally. And, and I think, understand uh... you're never going to hire great people. You're just not.
2: It's a, it's awesome advice, Brian. I think what we've done recently in the past couple months is paint out the actual vision of, well, this this podcast, this community, this network has actually gotten us to a point where now we know where we're going. So it took mm-hmm. us a while to figure out where we were going because originally it was a hobby, to be honest. Mm-hmm. We are like, we want to talk, we want to organically network really is what we wanted to do, you know, because yep. during COVID, nobody was like going out. So we started in April, 2020. Once that phase became, oh, these people know, like, and trust us, we've built um, a little mastermind within our own, nothing that we're charging people for, but like we're having interactions on DMs and we're talking to people. What we realize is that the next phase of this is, okay, now we can find people that are better at our little real estate bubble, right? Better operators that do it better than us, but we can bring them to people. We can do investor relations. We can market. Those, Those are the tasks. So our next phase is, is capital raising for a select few uh, number of um, operators, partnering with the right GPS and and scaling our business that way, along with a coaching program to teach people a how to get into real estate investing or b how to scale and try to grow a brand online, right? And we're not like huge yet, but we we have we know how to do that. So that's a that was just discovered like literally within the past six months. It took us two and a half years to, to get to that that mark. So we do have that. Vision, but I think what you're saying is more so like, no, like maybe more granularly mm-hmm. than where you're going. Now that you know where you're going, what does the dollars look like? What is the what is the roadmap look like? And and we haven't done that specifically, so that's kind of what's next for us. We've joined two masterminds that are going to help us get there. Um, but this is funny. It's like we we didn't pay for a coaching session, but it's uh, we're getting one. So I appreciate your your all your insight. And yeah, I'm like,
1: well, it, the thing is. Kind of parlaying off that is like every single dollar that we receive back, whether it's from our W twos, from the podcast, from whatever, and it's not, it's we immediately like okay, we need to funnel this right into the next real estate deal, and then we go out and we find the next deal, right? We just roll it in, but then it keeps us on the hamster wheel. Like there's a lot of things we try to outsource. You the quality just every time you outsource, quality goes down, and I think for us, we pride ourselves so much on the branding. It's hard, and you're like, well, people are going to continue to. No like and trust us. How can we? How can we? You know, release the the reins a little bit. So, it's just a hard balance overall. And um, mm-hmm. you know, you've run multiple companies. Well, that's actually. what I want to ask about. Like the the maybe how what you're
2: offering advice to us, how you've applied that, and it's maybe specifically after the landscaping company, as you like got into insurance, or you can talk about whatever business you feel most comfortable the scaling of that and how you have implemented hiring. And and I think maybe that'll give not only us ideas, but it'll give anybody listening ideas in terms of what do they do to try to scale their business? It sounds like you've kind of, uh, well, it, I, I know you've done a great job of it. So we'd love to hear.
3: Let me ask you guys some questions. Who are you using? Let me ask, let me back up the very first question. You guys have a business you created together.
2: Yes. We've
3: okay. Created- Is it, it's an LLC. Yes. Does it have an operating agreement? Yes. Somewhere.
1: <laughs> we have three businesses. Yes. We have one operating agreement for...
3: Yes, we do. Okay. So the first thing I'm going to tell you, if I was your coach, the first thing I would tell you is you need to get those operating agreements out, dust them off, find somebody put them together better than I, I'm guessing they're put together today. Yes. That's right. the first thing you guys need to do. Okay. Because there needs to be a delineation of op, of, of responsibilities, of of uh, authority, as we like to say and one of my original partners told me this is we build operating agreements when we're friends so that we can enforce them when we're not right it's like that movie uh i remember the movie about vietnam and the sergeant was yelling at this guy and he had an unlocked foot locker and he said why is your foot locker unlocked he said i don't know he goes you are the single reason there's theft in this military because you didn't lock your locker okay We, we don't build them because we're trying to to be mean to each other we build them because we need to make sure that we both understand our responsibility no matter what happens. Because when you start making a lot of money, that's when the conflict will happen. Trust me when I tell you this. Okay? Yeah. So the first thing you need to do is fix those operating agreements. The second thing you need to do is build that PNL I told you about over the next 24 to 36 months. It's called a pro forma. We build it. This gives us a blueprint of how we're going to build our business so that you're not operating in, well, what do we do today? What do we do tomorrow? I don't know. Are we supposed to hire this person? Are we not? Maybe we'll do this. Maybe we'll do that. No, no, no build me a 36-month pro forma PL. show me what your business looks like then, and we can back our way into giving you exactly what you need to do every month for the next 36 months. That's how you know you're on track and you stay there. That's number two. And number three, I know you just told me you joined two masterminds, but do you have a coach? No, no. Okay, so here's a huge mistake, okay? You guys are making decisions without having the knowledge of somebody who's already made those decisions five years ago and succeeded and failed at all the decisions you're making. In other words, if if you could find somebody that is where you were five years ago, and today they're, they're huge, and they could walk in and they could say, listen, uh, guys, here's what you need to do. Ryan, this decision you're making is bad. I've done that, it failed. And Corey, if you'll do this, this is what's gonna happen. Tell me how much faster your business would grow if you were literally talking to somebody who'd been there and done it over the last five years. Totally, you wouldn't. That's... You wouldn't be asking me these questions. You'd be so, asking him, and he'd say, "Do this, do this, do this."
1: You're right, and that's why. Actually, it's funny. That's why we joined the masterminds, and we tried to to the the person running them. Right, I guess ha- is that exact person you're referring to, and then everyone else within that group is you know to support each other, hold each other accountable, have deals going in and out, and like. It's, it's not only for deal flow, but for uh, relationships and all that, but it's not one-on-one coaching, for example. So yeah, we don't have that.
3: You're, you you need, Masterminds are good. They're depending on the type of mastermind. They're either relational, technical, or technical. If you're in a real estate, it's probably more of a technical, but still you, you guys ought to find somebody that has specifically done what you want to do, whether it's technical in real estate or tactical in business in general, that you can just call and say, hey man, what's going on? By the way, what are you allowed to share what? when masterminds did you join?
2: Um, yeah, sure, we can share. Uh, we've joined Emerge, which is the feed like the free program to go abundance. Um, okay. and then we have a good friend Brian Lubin who runs Action Academy. Uh, okay. And so you tell him we're on the cusp of the other one. Yes, and and then Raise Masters is another one that we're on the the verge
3: of, but I don't know if we have the budget for it at this time.
1: You would tell us no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't. We probably don't. But I would
2: tell you to make we sure we should no- be
3: in though. The mastermind that you're joining needs to be specific to building a real estate company as opposed to just learning how to build via buy a property. It is. Because you guys are building a business, which is... Well, buying the properties is inside the business. It's like that restaurant I told you about. Buying a, real, a piece of property is the restaurant, but you need to understand how to build the bigger picture. So make sure that you're working with one that's working on that specifically, not just how to buy an apartment complex or whatever.
2: Sure. Absolutely. Great advice, and um, I can tell that you, I can tell you do this for a living. So um, I want to ask about your some of the tactics that you implemented that helped you become as worldly as you are, and how you're able to eloquently spit this back to us. What have you? Maybe there's, I mean, there's there's a million things I'm sure, but I'm curious if there's some things that stood out along
3: the way that helped you scale, that helped you. You're going to be surprised at the answer. And the answer is I was trying to do it myself for 15 years, just like you guys are doing today. And I had a business partner I finally brought in and even working with him over a year and a half to two years was still not listening. And there was an event that happened that changed my entire world, my life, my children, my grandchildren, everything. Right. So, and I'll tell you the quick story is we were trying to build this new company, this internet marketing company. And, uh, Steve came in and he said, hey, man, I'm going to throw half a million dollars into this company, but we both owe the money back. So if our other insurance company makes money, it'll pay me back. If we make money, we'll pay me back. At the end of the day, if we make no money, you owe me half. Like, okay, fine. So he throws a half a million bucks in and we start this company. And nine months later, my CPA walks into my office and he says, you got to shut that thing down. I said, why? He said, because they've already burned through all $500,000. They've generated zero revenue zero, and they're going to bankrupt you at the rate they're going. I was freaking out. Like I go home, I tell my wife, I'm like, oh my God, we're down a half a million dollars. I got to pay this money back. Freaking out, I want out of this deal. I come into work the next day and my buddy Steve has passed away recently, uh, comes into my office, sits down and says, hey man, uh, we're going to buy another $66,000 worth of servers. So we're just going to throw that on the debt. And I said, Steve, are you out of your mind? We haven't made any money. We've we've blown through a half a million bucks. We've done zero revenue. He goes, Brian, listen to me. It's going to work. Don't worry about it. done this before. It's worth like 20 million. I'm worth like 20 bucks, by the way. I said, no, no, no. I'm still listening to myself, right? He says, it's going to work. Listen to me. This is how it works. This is what we're going to do. And I said, Steve, I can't do this, man. And he said, here's the deal, Brian. I'll give you your equity. I'm sorry, he said, you give me my equity back, I'll erase your debt, we walk away as friends, I don't want money to come between us. So you can walk away, you owe me nothing, I just want my equity back. But you got to make a decision right now. And I'm sitting there again staring at a guy worth 20000000 million, I'm worth 20 bucks for about a minute, and finally I just it broke in my head, and I said, you know what, I'm in. If I'm going down, I'm going down with you. You're clearly more successful
1: than me.
2: I was so locked into that story. I'm like sitting on the edge of my seat. Okay. It's okay. This is great. I
3: said, I'm in. And he said, Good. And I never want to have this conversation again. And he got up and walked out of my office. In 30 days, we had our first deal that did six million in revenue. The next year we did thirteen. The next year thirty-two and sold the company for eighty million dollars two years after that discussion. And I almost walked away because I was still trying to listen to myself as opposed to the person who had been there, done that, and was telling me, listen to me.
2: How do Finally, you I... differentiate the Steve's, his name is Steve, right? Mm-hmm. The Steve's from the person who has an unwavering belief in their self and is a good salesperson who's a, a guru and
3: doesn't know what they're talking about. Maybe that's not a great question, but I'm I'm curious. No, like, no, no,
1: no. There's a good question in
3: there. Yeah. 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 The answer is you vet the person. What have they done that's been successful? If you tell me that you are a master guru, I say, well, show me what you've done. Well, I coached this person and this person. I know, but show me what you've actually done. What business have you built? What success have you had? What have you done that validates your ability to teach me the things that you're telling me you're going to teach me. And if you've never been a, in the trenches, if you've never built a business, if you never set up on Friday night because you couldn't make payroll and, you know the next day, if you've never suffered, if you've never been broke in your business, if you've never had to make decisions like that, then you, ha- you just can't teach me. I'm sorry. And then if you haven't built a business and you haven't sold a business and you haven't scaled a business, then what can you teach me? There's nothing you can teach me because you've never done it. That's why I tell people I can coach you up to about 10 million in revenue. And after that, as I like to say, coaches are for a season or for a reason, and they're for a season. You you blow through 10 million, you get up to 15, 20, you need to find a different coach because I'm not the right guy and I'm not going to tell you I'm the right guy, but I can take you from here to 10 and then you probably ought to find somebody who can take you to 100. You're hired. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Vet, 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 vet. Totally,
2: totally. It's a, to to know yourself, Brian, too, and to be, I mean, it sounds like you're, you're extremely honest and you're, you know, you have integrity, but there's plenty of coaches that would probably say, you know what, I could probably make some more money doing this. I could I could take mm-hmm. you past ten million even if they know they can't. So I, I love that approach to know
1: exactly where your zone is. Well, how do you vet coaches too? And I, I know we just kind of went there, but like it's people who say, like, Oh, I'll hire a coach, go out find a mastermind. And it's like, where do you find these? Like people, oh, someone bought my business. Okay, where do you find the people that buy the businesses? There's you know, it's you know i know you know all the weeds here um uh, but it's we hear it top level a lot of the times and i'm like you know you're the right guy to ask this question so like if if we wanted a coach right we just start people immediately we would be okay guys you go to google and you say type in business coaches and you start finding them. but like know people that are
2: in the game that might be able to refer us to some people too but that's
1: true but then it's like once you get on the call with them what are you asking like how are you vetting them specifically to for your you know, to, no one's gonna be exactly exactly the same situation we were, but maybe maybe like
3: seventy five percent of the way. But or I could be wrong. It Depends, so. guys. I I tell people all the time. One of the things I say is, like chasing the advice of billionaires. This is one of my favorite ones. Right? If you got somebody who's too far ahead, and I was I used to joke. Elon Musk. I'm a, I'm an Elon Musk fan. I drank the Kool Aid. I've had four Teslas. I got a shitload of stock. Right? But when Elon was driving from. Uh, San Francisco to LA. If you and I were going to build a business driving trucks from San Francisco to LA, right? We would be trying to figure out traffic patterns, what time of day we're going to go. Elon Musk gets stuck in traffic and goes, screw it. I'm going to build a ton. Right? That's the way he thinks. He's not going to help me and you build our business from zero to 10 or zero to 20 million. The things he thinks and the way he thinks are not relevant to me and you. Bill Gates is not relevant to me and you. Anybody that's so far out in the stratosphere isn't going to help. So it's very easy to go to LinkedIn and, and Google and find out what somebody's history is and what they've done. It, i give you a funny story. Uh guy that worked for me for 20 years um, left and went off and he cha- his LinkedIn account says he's done all these things and built all these companies. And I get a call from a, a company a couple of months ago and they said, hey man, we're thinking of hiring this guy, but he says he built all these companies we've done the research on it and it appears that you did not him yeah. and i said i said well, what makes you say that he goes well we look he goes in fact i called him and i said look i've seen your car and i've seen your house you did not build and sell any companies brian did and i said well that's true it was me he worked for me for 20 years and he's like all right well i'll still look at him as you know look at you as a reference for him but right out of the gate if you're lying to me about what you've done it's gonna be very easy to figure it out. Totally, yeah. So fi- you got to vet these people and make sure they're the right person in the right time. And again, is it relational, technical, or tactical? Technical is real estate. Tactical is business. Got it. So
2: you're like back to your story a little bit, and you know your maybe what was your favorite business to grow? I'm curious and and run and 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 what phase in your life was that? Because. um, you know, I know the insur- insurance is very different than restaurants, at least from, again, not from a business owner's perspective, maybe, but from the outside looking in, it seems very different. I'm curious what your favorite was and if you have any uh, maybe tactical or
3: technical advice that go along with those. Sure. So I'm going to tell you something I heard. Uh, who was it? Oh, Bradley. I don't really give, give a crap what your passion is. Face a business that's going to make you money and then figure out what you're passionate about later. Right. I've gotten more
2: used to that saying in the mo- in more recent years because it used to be when we came out of school or like just where we you're growing up, follow your passion, follow your passion, but it's so it is so much easier to go back to your passion once you have the means and the resources and you're not strapped yes. for the ability
3: to do so. So I took totally- You know my favorite businesses were the ones that made the most money. Oh, I think that's why we do Look, business is my hobby. People are like, what is your hobby? My hobby is business. I like to build them. I like to consult for them. I like to watch people build them. I like to look in their eyes when they get that first gigantic friggin' check. That's my hobby. And I don't really care what the business is. That's why I went from insurance to technology, to landscaping and restaurants and all these different things. The business was irrelevant to me. Again, I don't know how to cook and I own a chain of restaurants. I'm not passionate about restaurants. I'm passionate about the fact that it makes a million dollars a year. That's what I'm passionate about. So that's okay. a fun business. Yeah, totally sounds fun to me. How's that, buddy? Plus, <laughs> I get question. to eat and drink for free. You know, if I can just walk down the street and eat and drink for free with my friends, what—that's a heck of a deal. Yeah, it is. So, how did you? Let's talk about this. The
1: I guess we're we're trying to get back to your timeline here, and maybe if you can consolidate it for us, just uh, like from way back to the lawn days, maybe up to insurance, all the way through. Bring us full circle to how you became a consultant and a coach for this type of stuff.
3: So sold the internet company, the insurance company, I was at 06 and 08, started doing sales management consulting, working with big call centers, uh, training their sales folks. We've done billions of dollars in sales through the trainings programs we've done, uh, did that for a number of years off that first restaurant as a, I wanted a toy it's a cliche when you make a lot of money, people buy restaurants and then they lose money at them, which I did. Uh, I lost money in the first one. So I bought four more. That's what you do. Um, and then I started making money and then I thought I was really good at restaurants and so I built a few and I lost money and I realized I wasn't good at restaurants, I was good at managing. So, you know, these are progressions we go through. Uh, started another company that we sold to an Indian call center and then, uh, started writing books and, uh, started buying real estate and got into politics. And I really took several years. I just chased life's passions. You know, I went and became a pilot and a dive master and ran with the bulls in Spain and. Walked the Great Wall of China and helicopters through South Africa and swam with great white sharks and did all that kind of crazy stuff. Um and it's funny, I was in I was on Necker Island about a month, three weeks ago. You guys know in Necker Island? Richard Branson's Island and the British Virginia. I was gonna say I it's I know the name. Yeah, there you go. So so Richard Branson owns it. So I was out there for a week and I was talking to him one night and I said, Richard, you're seventy three years old and you're still pushing it, you know. Um 300 different companies. Why at 73, when you're living in paradise, you've got everything at your disposal. Why do you still go out and do things? And he said, Brian, here's the deal. If you have a talent or an ability that can help people and that could change the world, then you have an obligation to do it and not just sit back and have taken everything from the world and not given back. And I was like, done. That's yes. why I'm a consultant because I want to help somebody. I want to help you guys make a million dollars a year each. That's what I want to do. Easy. So I don't do it for the money as much, even though I do make money doing it. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But the primary motivation is I get to do something with my life. I get to make a difference. I get to help people. And if it changes people's lives and helps them, then that's that's what I'm
1: here to do. So I think it's really cool because there's two, There's well, there's many type of people out there, but um, I recently had a conversation Probably about a year ago. And not I don't know that his level of success is exactly where yours is. He's sold a couple of different companies. Not he he became a pilot. He did a bunch of other things too. And I I sat down, it was actually a family member, and I was just like, Hey, like, why don't we have like weekly calls? Like like and started talking with some of my cousins too, right? He has he has sons and I'm like, why don't we have like calls in like talk about this stuff blah, blah, blah and he's like and the answer i got back i just didn't like i, I kind of hated it he was like he's in a different stratosphere and i could tell like it's not the business coach that we need for right now not that i wanted that but i just wanted the lean in to be like yo man like this is this is the exact rich whoever richard i forget his last name brunson branson, richard branson. I, I said it wrong <laughs> yeah uh i'm thinking of the click funnels guy branson brunson whatever uh but to my point i appreciate your answer so much more because it's the giving back aspect, like at this point, it's fun for you, right? Like money's not a worry. You've already seen the world. You've traveled. It's like, what do I do now? You're like, like mm-hmm. everybody does that until they about die, right? And they like still don't even make it close to where you are, and they just keep running the hamster wheel. I really like that giving back aspect because there are a couple different people in the world where they reach this level and they're like, dude, I'm good. Like I'm done. I did my time. I'm out. And that was what I got. Yours is mm-hmm. I want to give back and help people, and I, I like to, you know, surround myself and with people like you because that's what Corey and I want to do We've, we're we not even there even close and we give back like we just like mm-hmm. it and people there's always people that need something out there and they're, they're struggling everybody's fighting the good fight every day so I just that meant a lot to me I, I stumbled over the words like 30 times but um, <laughs> appreciate you being that guy because we need more of them out there
3: yeah it's cool man it's fun when you get to this point in your life you'll be you'll look back and go hey man I remember when that guy told me that and I want to do that too and that that's kind of the cool part
2: love it so You've written multiple books here, and I'm going to talk about them as we wind down the show, but I want to talk about sales and negotiation, and maybe do you have a couple of tidbits or something that the audience can take away about either sales or negotiation specifically that you felt has helped you become really, really high level at both of them?
3: Sure. This book right here, it's called No, right? And No, it's written from, as a salesperson, the client's perspective, talking to the salesperson right? I always tell people in sales training, think about what you're doing and what you're saying. Now think about somebody else doing that to you. And how does that make you feel, right? So if you're talking to real estate agents who are doing cold calling, and I always say, well, let me ask you something. When you're at your house and, and or you're in your car, whatever, and your phone rings and it's a number you don't recognize, what's the first thing you think? Well, I don't know this person. This is a telemarketer. They're trying to sell me something, right? Mm -hmm. And immediately your brain goes into negative mode. And a lot of times you either don't answer or if you do, you answer like, hello, like I'm, I'm just negative. And so think about it. If your customers are, if you think that when people call you, your customers are thinking that when you call them, and if you apply that to everything you do and everything you say in a sales situation, then you need to remember what we call the first objective in sales. This is the first, I don't care what you sell. The very first objective is that people don't like salespeople, right? Yep. And it's not that they don't like them personally most of the time. It's that they're afraid of them. They're afraid of being sold. Nobody wants to be sold. You know what I mean? I don't want you to push me to buy something I don't want or make me overpay. Everybody's afraid of being sold, and they're afraid of the unknown in the sales process, right? They're afraid of salespeople that they have my some magic voodoo that they can say to the customer and it's going to make the customer do something they don't want. And so if people are afraid of being sold and they're afraid of the unknown, then you need to recognize that. That's a psychological thing. And you need to figure out how to overcome that objection at the beginning of the sales process. We call it a wall of mistrust between you and the client. The very minute they lay eyes on you or you open your mouth, there's a wall of mistrust. If you know that wall of mistrust is there and it's they're afraid of you, then you need to figure out how to overcome that objection before you ever begin trying to sell them anything. And if you can get that wall of mistrust to start coming down, then you build in the, they got to like you, they got to trust you, they got to feel you're professional, they got to feel you're looking out for their best interests, all the things we talked about in sales. But until you get that first wall of mistrust down, that first objection, you're going nowhere. Love it. And that's a big one. Too many people try to overcome objections at the end of the sales process. Instead of doing it at the beginning, the example I use is uh, this guy that does car sales, something Elliot, Eric Elliot, Andy Elliot. You know who this guy is? Uh, got a huge sales organization. And I, I watched one of his sales he things. He's like the and... huge Jack dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah the dude. bald guy who's like. Works with, now he works, he runs Brad Lee's sales organization. Yeah, now, he's
2: which is like, who like you see his Instagram story and you're like, damn,
3: man, like you beat me up over Instagram. Like it's like well, one of those things. And here's what he does. Like I watch this and he's like, okay. Now you, I'm up here, and I'm up to the front of the room. Yeah. And the guy comes up and he goes, all right, you just pitched me your product. I'm going to give you some objections and you got to overcome them. And I'm thinking to myself, first of all, that's not fair because I would have already overcome your objections before we ever got to the end of the sales process. So you need to teach me how to do that, not teach me how to fight with you who is a professional salesperson who knows how to make me look like, you know, an idiot yeah, yeah. in front of 300 people. So. What he did just isn't fair. We shouldn't be overcoming objections at the end. We should be doing it at the beginning and during the process. That way we don't have to do that at the end. But that's not what he teaches. So mm, we, te- we teach psychology, right? How is the client thinking? Why are they thinking it? How should you think and why you should think it that way? No cheesy sales lines, no hardcore closer stuff, just psychology.
1: I like that a lot. Let me ask you this. Um, any Have you read, I sure you have, uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss? Ah, uh, Yeah. On negotiation, Over half of it,
3: Over okay, half, half of it.
1: it. Okay, it's big. It's big in like the real estate investing community, or at least for our, in our people, people that we surround ourselves with. And they're always just like, read that book, read that, read that book, because he's like an ex FBI foreman mm. guy. Um, I think it's cool, and I'm all about the psychology, truly, because uh, we both are in sales, and right there's a roadmap, and you have the questions that you ask every time, and blah blah, blah. objections. But it's usually the objections, exactly like you said, are at the end, and uh, I think yeah, it's flipping it on set.
3: Yeah. If you can figure out the psychology behind it, build scripts around it, we use specific and general scripts. I mean, I have a whole two-day sales training we do. I have a four-module, one-hour sales training on my website people can go through that kind of goes through the, lays out the process of the psychology. If anybody wants to go get that, it's on my website, Uh well, And then, right. of course, there's a book. So.
2: Yeah, let's yeah. talk about the books before we wind down. So um, the first, I don't actually, you it, tell me the order of these books and I apologize that I don't know, but The Dropout Millionaire, 37 Business Lessons on How
3: to Succeed in... Actually, business. my first book was called I Give the Dumb Kids Hope. Oh, uh, okay. That's, that's that. a book of, yeah, it's a book about my life. It came from a story that my daughter had. It was about the fact that you know I failed out of high school and still went on to create unbelievable success. And the premise of the book in 30 seconds is I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you think you've been through. I've been abused as a child. I've been broke. I've been kicked out of the house. I've had no credit, no money, no place to live, no car. I had my car repossessed on Christmas. My electric turned off on New Year's Eve. I had a three-year-old baby. I got put in jail for something I didn't do. And yet none of that matters. Your future is in your hands. And that's kind of the gist of that book, right? Awesome. Then the second book was A Dropout Multimillionaire. And that book is about 37 Lessons in How to Build a Business with No Money, No Education, and No Clue, right? Because I didn't. Didn't know anything about any business I ever started. And it's a lot of soft skills, not specifically you know hardcore business. Like, here's how you set up a bank account. Here's how... None of that. It's about the mental aspects of building a business. And then the last book is The Psychology of Sales and Negotiation, which is really about learning how to be a master closer. So those are the three books.
2: Love it. Well, um, the best way to find those books, I mean, I'm looking, you can buy them, buy them on Amazon, you know, yep. anywhere books are sold, which is great. Um, I have like maybe the last question of the show is, do you have something else you want to get? I got
1: to? one more. Yeah. So uh, we're heavy centric on real estate in our show and I don't want to go down the whole rabbit hole here, but you mentioned you've done a lot of consulting, you've bought and sold businesses. Can you talk about the real estate you
3: buy and, and why you go that lane? I'm a buy and hold single family home guy. Um. So for instance, well, I, did, I do some commercial too. So I own one commercial building and that building has seven units within it individual condo units. And then I have, I pretty much stick with townhomes. So I have like, I have one subdivision that has eight townhomes I bought. In fact, I just, I'm closing on another one next week. And that cool. gives me the ability to, you know, stay within one little subdivision while we're working on stuff. I have another one that I've got, you know, two and another little subdivision, but I'm a family home guy. I, you know, like it or not, I kind of follow the, the uh, what's his name? Uh, I can't remember his name. The guy that, uh, talks about buying single family homes at below the median price level. I buy everything about two hundred fifty thousand, dollars $260,000 level. Uh, I pay cash for everything. Um, and then we rent them out. So that's me. So, um, Brian, was
2: real estate for you a, it sounded like at the stage in your career, you got into it, it was a wealth preservation tactic, like, and to to continue to grow it, but not to get you wealthy, right? You bought, if you're buying everything all cash, it's right. You're trying to, to stabilize and grow your money as opposed to, and I think this is what a lot of real estate investors get confused about. And even us to an extent, like we're, we're in our early thirties, right? So, but real estate, isn't going to isn't going to drive us into richness now, right? But it's going to make us mm-hmm. wealthy in twenty years, and we know that. Right. And so we have to approach it like that. But I, I I've talked about I, I forget who t- said this, and I don't know if it was on our podcast or I'm just relaying all the ones that I listened to. But they said real estate not a really great way to get rich. It's a really great way to preserve your wealth once you've already made money, right? In business, well. Sounds like that was your tactic I said
1: get wealthy, not get rich, get wealthy.
2: Yeah, I yeah, sort of.
3: Well, there's two things, right? So because my I pay cash for the 21 properties, right? So my average property returns about 6% annually off of the rent. We're 100% rented. And that's a decent return on investment considering that it's basically tax-free. And because right. half of it's here and half of it's in Florida, I also own an airplane and I have a place on the beach in Florida. So every time I go to the beach, I go down to see my real estate property in my plane, and guess what? It's all tax write-off. So all of my real estate income is tax-free essentially, so that's a good thing. And then you've got the appreciation on the properties. And so the math that we run on is a seven-year cycle. And the seven-year cycle says that if I take my properties, the way I buy them, and the rents that I charge, and I get 5% increase on my rent each year, which is 100 bucks, so my rent goes up 100 bucks per unit each year, and I get 5% appreciation average, in seven years, the value of my portfolio doubles. Because every dollar of rent, I don't live on, I take every single dollar of rent and I reinvest it in a new property. So I know that every six months, I get enough rent to buy another property. And then six months later, I buy another property. And by doing that in a period of seven years, I can turn a $5 million portfolio into 10. Mm-hmm. That's just the way the math works. If five and five, reinvesting every dollar, you'll double your portfolio every, every uh, seven years. So Love it. You know, at my, at my age, I'm 58 years old, and that means in two seven-year cycles, five million will turn into 20. Um, and that 20 will return. actually, in seven years, my rents will be close to a six hundred thousand a year, and then seven years later, it goes to about a million. So, if you can make a million a year tax free off of your rental income, that's not a bad deal. Over not, a,
1: not a bad. People don't want to know where you're finding two hundred fifty thousand dollar properties. Don't give us your town or whatever. But like, are
3: you Midwest? Are you? These are in Florida. These are right outside of Tampa right? So Mm. there's condos and townhomes. In this case, I found a little 400 unit townhome uh, complex, gated, two swimming pools, tennis courts, a giant lake, a mile walking track. And it's weird how some properties don't appreciate as fast as others around it. This one is just like a little honey hole, we'll call it. And I can- I
2: uh, I have a property in Tampa that I I use as a short-term rental and I, I just bought it. I absolutely love it. It's crushing it. And now we got a hurricane coming right up the coast. So
3: I'm trying to. I got a condo on the beach, right? My, I'm my like, patio furniture sitting out there.
2: I'm like, okay, here we go. But it, you know, we'll see. It's it's. Uh, I'm in a flood zone too, so yeah. Uh, but that's great. I love Tampa, and I I've learned a lot about the market in the last two years, and I think
3: it's a great place to buy real estate. So uh, very very cool. Um, one day we... when you buy that airplane, you can fly that airplane for free. You can actually get a tax deduction, get your money back, fly it for free. Airplanes are awesome. That's right. Ish.
2: So I know you got to go in a minute. Last question for us. Uh, knowing what you know now, Brian, you just mentioned you're 58. Let's say you went back to your 18 year old self, or you know your yourself that just graduated high school. What advice would you give 18 year old Brian? Didn't graduate. No, he did. I did. I got back. back.
1: Yeah. One. Oh, I thought you waited a little bit. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah. There you go. But what? Uh. Yeah. What advice would you give your 18 year old self?
3: Yeah. Uh. General advice I would have given myself at that age is you need to relax. It's going to be okay. You got a lottery ticket in your pocket. It's You just got to wait a while to cash it. Um, that's if I knew, if I could look back and tell myself that. I would also tell myself from a real estate perspective, I got into rentals at one point probably 30 years ago and then quit. can't imagine how much money I would have today if I have just bought you know, the house a year uh, over a period of time. I mean, what you can do with real estate is phenomenal. So... I would have gone back and said, relax, it's going to be good and buy more real estate, sit and hold. That's what I would have done. Well,
1: cool. great advice. Brian, uh, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for gracing us with your presence and dropping bombs. I mean, those were, for, at least for us, you gave us a lot of uh, clarity on what we need to do moving forward. So totally. If people want to learn more about you, they want to maybe potentially hire you as a
3: coach
2: uh, or just network, what's the best way for people to find you?
3: Yep brianwillmedia.com brianwillmedia.com and my coaching page is theforcemm.com but brianwillmedia.com will get you there my podcast my books my coaching everything's on there love it thanks Thanks, guys hey man i really i really appreciate this was fun thanks for having me today if there's anything i can ever do for you you know how to get a hold of me
0: thanks for tuning in this week to the weekly juice podcast if you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and share with friends. The more ratings we get, the more ears we'll get on our show, and in turn, we'll be able to provide you with more high-quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at weekly juice Pod, where we post daily tips and tricks and document our own journey towards financial freedom. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice.